Good morning. Isn't it great that life is a journey, but Jesus walks with us through that journey. My name is Bob Thomas. I'm one of the the pastors here, and uh, I'm really glad that you are here this morning. Uh, You will notice that Denny's fruit stand is closed, and Bob's fruit stand is open. (laughs) Just for one week. Denny will be back next week, so please don't miss that. He'll be back and continuing the series. Actually, we are continuing this morning as well. In fact, this morning we talk about life being a journey. Think about this. Maybe, you know, you wake up one day and you have kind of a uh, an ache in your stomach, something's not quite right, and it lasts a couple days, and so finally you go to the doctor, right? And they poke around a little, they ask some questions, they run some blood work, but no answers, and you still have that pain. So they send you, you know, off for a, a scan, and, and the next day you get a phone call, and it's the doctor's office, and they say, hey, w- we would like to meet you in our office. Could you come in, please? So how, how do you feel? What happens, right? There's some anxiety, for sure. There'd be some worry, maybe some fear. But, but what happens next after that? Or, or maybe your, your boss calls you into her office and she says, hey, it's been a tough year. This year we've had to get rid of a few positions and yours is one of them. You know, we're going to pay you for a month, but then you got to go home. And so you clean out your locker or your desk. And I mean, as you're driving home, think of the questions that would be in your brain, right? How am I going to pay my bills? I mean, where am I going to get another job? What am I going to tell my spouse, or maybe my parents, or what am I going to tell the kids? And so you have some, I would imagine, some, some anger maybe, some certainly a lot of confusion, but what happens next? Or maybe you're here this morning and you, you, you've been in a dating relationship for a really long time and everyone kind of assumes that something's going to happen, that you're going to get married, and you're just not sure. You don't know. You have this indecision, and maybe you're feeling this pressure from family and friends but you're not sure. So, so what happens next? Or maybe you're here this morning and you're, you know, your parents were way less than they should have been and, and, and you were neglected or maybe worse through no fault of your own. And now as an adult or as an older, uh, maybe as a, as, as a teen or someone in your 20s or maybe in your 50s, you're trying to work through that past and all the emotions that it brings. And, and you have questions for which you don't have answers. So what happens next? Or maybe you're here this morning and you're a parent, and this last week or maybe this coming week, you're putting your, you know, your first grader on the bus for the first time. Or maybe you're at the other end of the spectrum and you just sent your baby off to college for the first time. And you feel this anxiety, right? You feel this, this worry, this unsettledness. That's normal, but what comes next? What happens next? And as we continue our series in the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to talk about what comes next. After you hang up the phone with the doctor, after you get home from that meeting with your boss, after your child is already away at college, what happens? Scripture paints a picture that says, that makes clear that peace is possible even in the midst of these kinds of situations. So we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, there's one fruit, but different qualities of that fruit, different aspects of that fruit. We're going to talk about the one quality or aspect this morning of peace. And it says peace is possible. And and Denny made really clear at the beginning of this study that God isn't going to ask us to do something that's impossible. So peace must be possible. Or we wouldn't be instructed to have peace. 
What does peace even mean in this case? In your sermon notes, you have a, in your bulletin, you have a piece of paper that looks like this. It's blue. If you pull it out, it just simply says, biblical peace that we want to discuss is unrelated to circumstances. It's unrelated to circumstances. It, it, it's a goodness and a quality of, of our lives that happens, and it doesn't matter what happens on the outside or even on the inside. In John 14, Jesus is speaking about peace. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The fact that Jesus is giving this peace shows that it's not something we earn, not something we we develop on our own or that we earn and, and we receive it because we've earned it. It's a gift. In the verse prior to this verse, he says, the comforter will come. He's talking to his disciples. The comforter is another name for the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus is saying is, I have to leave. The Holy Spirit is going to come, and he is going to give you my peace. That's what Jesus is telling us, and that is his plan for us. And then he goes on to say that this peace is going to enable them and us to live without, really, so that our hearts won't be troubled and that we won't be afraid. Jesus is talking about a very real peace, an authentic peace. It's not some theoretical concept, but it's peace in the midst of these storms, circumstances of life. And the examples that I started with this morning are are one thing, but many of you, I mean, if you think about, just just think about the 20 people sitting around you, and then think about the size of this, this group. What do you think the circumstances are that people are facing? right now, this morning. I mean, I I know that some of you are facing some really difficult situations. I know some of you have been out of work a long time and you can't find work. I know that some are are sick and you're not sure why or what. You're still trying to find that diagnosis. It may be that some of you are, are, are here this morning and, and you are struggling with a major decision that is not just going to impact you and your family, but lots of other families as well. And I know some of you have lost loved ones these last couple of weeks. I just talked to someone who lost a loved one yesterday. And some of you may be wondering if you're going to lose a loved one in the coming weeks. What is it in your life right now that threatens your peace? What is it? Because in the midst of whatever it is, Scripture says, peace is possible. My question for you is, I mean, do you really believe that? I mean, is it, is it really possible, that kind of peace in the midst of that kind of, those kinds of situations? I mean, maybe it's possible to sort of fake it a little bit or, or pretend that those things aren't really happening. But, but real authentic peace? I want to tell you that I, I believe it's possible. More than that, I've seen it demonstrated in, in many of your lives. I've seen it in, in, in someone who lost her husband a couple weeks ago, and it was difficult, and it was sad, it was heartbreaking, and yet she had peace. I've seen it in some of you who have gone in for cancer surgery, gone in for another round of chemo, and you have had peace that was amazing to me. I, I've seen it in the lives of some of you who, again, have been out of work for so long. You've been told by a spouse that they want a divorce. You've lost a child. And you've had peace in the midst of those things that was inspiring to me. So so I know it's possible. And what I want you to hear is 
Even though those people that I just talked about are amazing people, this peace isn't just for the few or the exceptional. It's for every believer. That's what Scripture says. So this morning, I want us to discover how we can experience this quality of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives of peace. In the first week of this series, Denny talked about he used the passage out of John 15, which we're going to look at again. Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches. And this is really key to our understanding, this whole concept of fruit and the fruit of the Spirit. So let's look at it again. John 15, 1 to 5 says this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In your sermon notes, it says, the key to this piece that we're discussing is that we must be connected to the vine. And Jesus is the vine. We have to remain in him, is what he says. And the idea is that the vine and the branches are they're intertwined. They're, they're, they're so connected. It's like the vine is holding onto the branches and the branches hold on to the vine, and there's, there's really no way that they can be separated. The connection that Jesus is talking about is critical because only through this connection can we have fruit of the Spirit. Only as we're connected to Jesus can we have that. And the only way that we can have that connection is if we have a right relationship with Jesus. And Scripture actually tells us that naturally we don't have a right connection with Jesus, a right relationship with Jesus. In fact, the New Testament writers say that we are enemies of God. Look at Colossians 1, 21. It says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. And then Romans 5 10 says, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. We were enemies of God. And so, again, in your sermon notes, I have, in order to have this experiential peace, this peace that kind of we'll talk about doesn't make sense, this peace when, when these circumstances happen in our lives, in order to have this experiential peace that comes from the Holy Spirit, we must first be at peace with God. That's step one. And I understand really clearly this need for, for peace with God because of my personal experience that, that happened a long ago when I was struggling to really kind of live two lives, to be honest with you. So I'm sure that there may be a couple of you here this morning that don't know that I grew up in this church. Now, when I grew up, it wasn't here. It was somewhere else. Yes, I'm that old. But anyway, Right? I grew up in the church, so I heard great Bible teaching. I went to, to youth group occasionally. I had leaders that poured into me, that prayed for me, that cared about me. I just wasn't interested. It really wasn't their fault. It was my fault. I just didn't care. I was not interested in what really they had to say. And, and, and so what happened as I got into high school is I started to really to, to drink a lot and to go to parties a lot. And I started to, to be honest with you, I got pretty good at living two different lives. One in front of my family and the few church friends that I had, and one in front of everyone else. In front of my family, I was sort of a, 
you know, my mother was in the first service, so she could have answered your questions, but thankfully she's not here now. Um, I was kind of angry a little bit, kind of bitter, but maybe just kind of a, a normal teenager, maybe, right? But I, I followed the main rules. I didn't get into a ton of trouble as far as they were aware. Everything was okay. But in front of my friends, my other friends, and I, I, I drank a lot. I had a, just a profanity-laced vocabulary, and I was incredibly sarcastic about everyone and everything. So much so that I had people later in life tell me that during that period of my life, they were afraid of me. They were afraid to be with me. I just, you know, I, I guess I could have summed that all up and just said, I was a jerk is what I was. I just wasn't a very nice person. I was bitter and angry a lot. Some of you this morning may have known me then, may have been some of those you sponsors, may have been praying for me, so thank you for that. Some of you who maybe weren't a part of the church at all then were living that life right along with me. The truth is I enjoyed being with my friends and, and being at the party, but as I got out of high school and I got into technical school, I had this problem. After the party, I was always kind of miserable, and, and I just wasn't happy, and, and I was kind of bitter and, and remorseful, and I was convinced that it was God's fault. I mean, I had it figured out, like, if God would just leave me alone, I'd be okay. And the reason I thought that was because my friends who had not gone to a church where they had heard anything from the scripture or hadn't gone to church at all, you know, they were, they were fine after the party. They, they just kept having a good time. So I was convinced that God was making me miserable. And so one night, as I laid in bed, I just out loud said, God, leave me alone. Here's a tip for you. You might, you might want to write this down. Telling God what to do isn't a very good idea. At least it wasn't in my experience. Now, the fact that I am standing here, walking this stage, preaching a sermon from God's Word, and I've been a pastor for several years and a missionary before that, is testimony to the fact he did not leave me alone. And I am so thankful. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. But at the time, I was not celebrating. Things got worse. I got more miserable. And I devised a great plan. I, went to a, I started going to a Bible study in my neighborhood. Because I thought, if I would do something for God, maybe he would do something for me. That didn't work either. You can write that down as well. I'm giving you gold, really, just... And so what happened next, really, only God could do. I was, at a, I was at a party. I was intoxicated. I looked across the room. I saw a girl that I knew from church. And I thought, she shouldn't be here. She doesn't belong here. And in that instant, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And I'll tell you, I wasn't listening for the Holy Spirit. I wasn't interested in the Holy Spirit. But it, was, it wasn't audible, but it, 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 was, it was even more clear than if it had been audible. The Holy Spirit said, you shouldn't be here either. You don't belong here. And I will tell you, that's the last night I've been intoxicated in my life. And I went home. And a couple days later, I was just shaken by the whole experience. And a couple days later, I knelt at my bedside. And I just, I just let it all out. Talked to God about my anger and my bitterness and my lying and my living two lives. Really, all the stuff that the Bible calls sin. And I just asked him to forgive me. I just said, God, please forgive me. I've got nowhere else to turn. I've got nothing to bring. Forgive me. 
And that night, I received forgiveness from God because of his grace. Hallelujah is right. What, what the Bible tells me is at that moment, I became a new creature. In 2 Corinthians, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. That passage says, there was nothing I could do to earn it. It was God's grace. And I accepted God's grace and the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross on my behalf. I was radically different. Radically different. So a friend, a couple months later, he also chose to ask God to forgive him. And people were asking him his story, kind of his testimony. And he said, I knew if God could change Bob Thomas, he could change me. That was his testimony. That was how radical the change was. And I didn't do a thing. It was God that changed me. That night, I went from being an enemy of God an enemy. Man, I didn't want anything to do with God, to, to go into a place where I had peace with God. Romans 5, 1 says this, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. That's in your sermon notes, through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's through him we have peace. Not only that, Paul makes clear that at that moment, the Holy Spirit took up residence within me. In 1 Corinthians, he says, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? When you accepted Jesus Christ, like I did that night, you were forgiven of your sin. You were made a new creature. The Holy Spirit took up residence within you and you had peace with God. That's what happens when we ask God to forgive us of our sin. And then as we mature, the Holy Spirit produces fruit within us. That's why we're talking about it here this morning. Peace is one of those qualities of that fruit within us. Humans are unable to produce that fruit. Only the Holy Spirit can produce it. And so we have to be believers. We have to ask God to forgive us in order to have that fruit because that's the only way the Holy Spirit lives in us. So if that's the case, in your sermon notes, there's a question there. What is my role in enabling the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in me? Remaining is key to our role, it says there. The answer is found in that passage about the vine and the branches. Remaining is key to our role. So, so what do we do? We remain. Well, that's great, but how do we remain should be the next question that we ask. And I'm glad you did ask, because I'm going to tell you. There's three ways. I'm just going to point out, again, they're in your sermon notes. First, we must know what is true about God and ourselves. If you have a bulletin, there's a sheet like this in it. Go ahead and pull it out. I'll wait. In your bulletin, piece of paper, like this. On one side, it says, truths about believers. On the other side, it says, truths about God. These are not all the truths about God. These are not all the truths about believers, but they are key ones that I drew out of Scripture. You see the Scripture verses are there for all of them. We need to know what these are. We have to know what's true about God and ourselves if we want to remain in him. So I would encourage you to put this on your dining room table or on your desk. Take a picture of it and put it on the, the screen of your PC or your, your, your Apple, right? Put it somewhere where you see it and you're reminded of what's true about you and what's true about God. 
It's critically important if we want to remain in him. Second thing, we must be continually connected to Jesus. <coughs> Jesus used this illustration of the vine and the branches because it would have been very familiar to his disciples. To, to most people living in that area of the world at that time, they would have known branches, vine, yeah, we get it. We understand how that works. But really, it wasn't that important to Jesus. The illustration wasn't that important. It was the truth he was trying to demonstrate and illustrate. That's what was important. So today, if someone came to, to Butler and they wanted to talk to you about remaining attached to something, they, they probably would not use an illustration about vine and the branches. But they might use an illustration about you, cameraman loves this, and your phone. You know how many times an average American checks their phone a day? 80. You know how many times a millennial does it? 150. Okay? So, why do we do that? I mean, why check it? Let me check it here. I'm oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> why do we check it? Because we want to stay connected. We, we want to be connected on Snapchat with our friends. So we, we, we keep pulling it out and we see if they posted anything. We don't want to miss anything. You know, some of us follow Instagram posts of celebrities or sports stars. Some of us are following our fantasy leagues, fantasy football, fantasy baseball. Again, I said earlier, I'm sure there's fantasy hockey. I don't know. But we stay connected. So, so we, we want to see who liked our Facebook post. We want to see if anyone looked at our Facebook post. We want to see how many friends we have. We stay connected to this. And it, it may be that we're working, or we're, we're, we're making dinner. Lord knows it might be that we're driving, and we're kind of doing two things at once. We may be out to dinner. You've seen that? Maybe you do it. You're out to dinner. You have two people. And they're just looking, they're not even looking at each other, they're just looking at their phone. Because they want to stay connected. Now we can talk about the benefits of that and the downfall of that, but I don't have time to do it this morning. So you can talk amongst yourselves later on whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. All my, my point is simply this. We know what it means to abide. We know what it means to remain. Because we might be cooking, we might be cleaning, but we know that little blue light's blinking and we can't wait to get back to it. We might not be looking at this right now, but we know we're going to look at it really soon. We can't wait to get connected. And Jesus is saying, that's how your relationship with me should be. You should always be thinking of me, connected to me, remaining in me, no matter what you're doing. So if you're not in church and you're with your friends, Jesus should still be at the forefront of our minds. When we have a decision to make, we should wonder, you know, what is it that would honor Jesus in this case? What is it that Jesus would have me do about this decision? That is remaining connected. That's the point. That's the way we're supposed to live our lives. And then number three, we must spend time in God's word. We have to be in God's word. And Jesus says in John 15, 7, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus is telling his disciples, you need to remember my teachings. You need to stay focused on what it is I said while I was here. The things you learned from me, you need to, you need to remember and focus on. And we're the same. We need to be in God's word. Now, there's lots of ways to do that. One of the ways is to, to be here on Sunday morning. So thank you for being here. 
to hear God's word preached. Another way is to join one of the many groups that, that Pastor Keith talked about. Lots of great groups on Sunday morning, throughout the week, during the day, in the evenings. Get connected to some of those groups so that you can study God's word. Those are awesome ways to do that. But here's what I want you to know. There is no substitute for you personally reading God's word. There's no substitute. In fact, I would say this to you. If you want to produce, if you want the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit in you, there is no substitute. You must be in God's word reading it yourself. That's it. There's no shortcut. Now, there's also no such thing as binge reading, right? You can, you can binge watch a show, but if you don't read the word for a month and a half and then you read it all and you get caught up, it's not really effective. It's not what we're talking about. Now, here's the good news. There's no schedule. In fact, I would say to you, don't be in a hurry. Don't, don't ever read more than a chapter if you're not used to reading it. Read four or five verses. That's it. A couple minutes a day, but it has to be every day or, or five days a week. It has to be a, a habit in your life. Because if we're looking for the fruit of the Spirit, that love, that joy, that peace, that gentleness, that goodness, that kindness, we're not going to have it unless we're in God's Word. That's the truth. So just start 10 minutes a day. If you don't have 10, do it for seven. Please. It's the most important thing we can do to remain in Jesus. We remain in his word. As we do these things, even in the midst of uncertainty and pain and difficulty, scripture says we can have peace. Remember, it, it comes as we remain and as we abide, right? In other words, as we spend time in God's word, as we spend time remembering those truths about us, as we really remain in him, that's then when the peace comes. We can't do, we can't live a life where we do none of those things and then we, we experience this problem and we say to God, okay, bring on the peace. It doesn't work that way. Fruit is not instantaneous. It takes time. So we have a part to play. Yes, the Holy Spirit produces it within us, but we do have a role to play. We have to remain in Jesus. I also want you to know that there's no uh, sort of, uh, after five years, you can stop abiding. Well, after 10 years, you know, you get a pin and then you're finished. No, it's a lifelong pursuit, this remaining in Jesus. The truth is, the kind of peace, and I, I alluded to it earlier, it doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, Paul makes that really clear when he writes to the Philippians, and I love the fact that this is in Scripture. It says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts. That just simply means it doesn't make sense. We can't figure it out. The only answer is that it's God through his Holy Spirit. That's the only answer. This peace doesn't change our circumstance. It doesn't eliminate all of our pain. It doesn't even elim eliminate all of our uncertainty. But it brings a quality of calm and peace. Another way to, to think of it is, you know, we talk about sometimes we have voices in our head, right? Voices, there's, there's fear, there's anxiety, there's uncertainty. Those voices don't go away completely. But the Holy Spirit, His voice begins to overwhelm and overcome and drown out those voices so that we hear His voice clearly and we hear those other voices less and less. That's the idea. That's the picture. 
in your sermon notes again, I just have this question. Have you ever experienced that type of peace in your life? I hope you have. If not, have, do, you, do you desire it? Because the book of Galatians says, not only can we have it, but we can expect it, that we should expect it. This is normal. This isn't for the few and the exceptional. If you're here this morning and you desire that peace in your life, but you're lacking it this morning, I want to let you know that at the end of the service, I've asked several men and women to just come and be available so that you can, they can pray for you. And you can come up and just simply, you can tell them a, a long story if you want, or you can just say, pray for peace in my life. That's it. And they'll pray for you. Because we, we believe at Community Alliance Church that prayer changes things. And so we want to pray for you specifically. And if you're here this morning and you've never asked God to forgive you, you've never come to that place in your life like I did so many years ago, and I hope you do it more quickly than I did and you don't wait as long as I did. But if you haven't come to that place, there's something in the sermon notes for you as well. Three things that I want you to know if you've not yet asked Jesus to forgive you. One is he loves you more than you can imagine just the way you are. You don't have to change a thing. He loved me when I was a complete mess and a jerk. He loves you more than you can imagine. Two, he won't leave you alone, even if you tell him to, because he loves you so much. He won't leave you alone. And then the third thing is simply, he'll, do whatever, he'll, he'll use whatever means necessary to show you your need for him. In my case, I mean, he just made me miserable long enough that I finally gave up. Don't. Don't wait so long that he needs to do those kinds of things in your life. Just ask him for forgiveness. Because I want to give you that opportunity to be a new creature, to be at peace with God, and to have the Holy Spirit live in you. I'd love to give you that opportunity this morning. In fact, this morning, if you would stand for me, I want us to stand and pray. So if I've asked you this morning to be one of these folks that would come and be up front to pray, why don't you come up now and then we're going to pray. So pray with me, please. God, thank you that you love us. You sent your son for us. You give us your Holy Spirit to produce fruit in us. And one of the qualities of that fruit is peace that doesn't make sense, but it comes from you. Thank you that I've seen it in the lives of so many in this congregation. And you've given me the privilege at times to experience that in my life as well. I pray that you'd give courage to those here this morning that, that need prayer. Give them courage to come forward. Give them courage to, to pray. Give them courage to take the next step in their journey. So I want you to know this morning, if you're here this morning and you're a believer, you've asked God to forgive you but you just, you just don't have peace in your life because of a circumstance, because of a situation, because of some uncertainty. Would you right now just step out and come forward and these folks will pray with you? Please do that right now. What do you need prayer for? These folks want to pray for you. Prayer changes things. So I just encourage you to come right now. Come on. And then if you're here this morning with your eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you've never asked God to forgive you, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. There are no special words. There's no special formula. It's really just simply expressing to God 
something like this. God, would you forgive me? Lord, would you make it possible for me to have peace with you? So I ask for your forgiveness because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. You can pray that prayer right now. Anything like it, silently where you stand. If you've prayed that prayer, again, I want to encourage you, just step out and come forward right now and say to one of these folks, hey, I just asked God to forgive me. Would you pray for me? And they will. And then if you're here this morning and you just need prayer for something else in your life, maybe you have peace, but there's someone else in your life that you want prayer for, I would just encourage you now, step out right now and come forward so these folks can pray for you. Anything that you want in your life, they'll pray for you. Father, we close our time together and we can do nothing but give you praise because you are the one who sent your son to die on a cross so that we might have peace with you. He paid our penalty. There was nothing we could do. Thank you, Lord, that you pursued me and pursued me. And I pray that if there are those here this morning that don't know you, you would pursue them and pursue them. Thank you that you love them just the way they are pray, Father, that you would grant those peace that are searching for it this morning, but that they would understand that can only come as they have a right relationship with you. Thank you for your incredible love and pursuit of us. Thank you that your Holy Spirit develops fruit within us, and one of those qualities is peace that doesn't make sense. We praise you in the mighty name of our Savior and your Son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. You can continue to come forward if you'd like someone to pray with you or you're dismissed. Have a great Sunday.